Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Well, now we at least know scientifically why the Red Wings never won the draft lottery. After all that time, we thought, oh, bad luck. Some people who are had like extra thick uh, tinfoil hats on were like, "Oh, it's it's rigged against the Red Wings, or it's rigged for whoever." Obviously, not the case. You know, the the hockey gods are just paying Detroit back for years and years and years of dominance. No, 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 no. It's none of that. It's Evan's fault. Today is the best day of my life. <laughs> this guy has won for the second time in his life. Two people go their entire adult lives never winning these things. Evan for the second distinct time has won tickets to the masters i'll do it again too calling a shot the red wings are never winning as long as you're covering this team evan that's where all the that's where all the lottery luck has gone it's it's just been siphoned off into evan's masters pursuits i thank you all for your misery and uh, negativity (laughs) then thank you What's, what's that thing from lore what is he a succubus yeah yeah something like that uh, for anyone who wants it, I'll give you Evan's personal mailing address so you can send him glitter bombs or something. Okay. No, that, no, no, no. Send him his fake master's tickets. That's right, yeah. You can't hurt me today. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I've never seen you stand taller in my life. Oh, man. Well, Brad, happy belated birthday. Thank you. How's 36? Sore. Yeah. Same as 35 then. Exactly the same. Nothing has changed. I am a little angry at you, Evan, though, for ruining my bid. I actually had my alarm set for 11.59 to wish Brad a happy birthday. Yeah, I would not have been up even remotely close to that late, so I had to get it in while I could. That's all right. I didn't. We, we didn't forget this year, though, Brad, so. Big we, improvement. We've only done that. No, this is our, I think this is our second year in a row remembering. The real question is, is it in my calendar for next year? <laughs> I mean, a rookie move if you put anything in your calendar not as recurring. Okay, but I think he actually did do that. Because uh, that, that sounds like something he would do. Sounds like Evan. Anyways, uh, folks. And also, we got to be careful. This is too much non-hockey talk. <laughs> That's right. And we're pushing it here, right? Yeah. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all of uh, everything that's happening in the world of off-season Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, in addition to these uh, those fleeting moments of complaining about Evan's uh, good luck, we are going to talk to you on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast about a conversation that hasn't come up yet, but one that we're going to start to broach, which is the uh, contracts of Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond, or should I say the upcoming contracts of those two players, what they might look like when they could come, what wrinkles are in place, and I think this is going to turn into an argument between at least Brad and I. Uh, we'll be talking about some goings-on across the league, uh, some update for Red Wings prospects like Noah Dover-Nielsen, Dmitry Bichelnikov. Uh, Brad, as a birthday gift, will be allowed to talk about Eric Carlson, some notes about the Olympics, and uh, we'll see what else we get into before Ooh, overtime. I don't know what you're talking about. I've talked about Sandine Pelica every draft, every episode since the draft. You know what? We I like that we are irrational about like one or two things at a time on this podcast. It keeps things fun. We hyper-focus the stupidity. Yeah. We know it's silly, but we, we want to make sure the show's actually useful. But we'll be, we'll have fun with one thing, because otherwise rebuilds are just too bleak. And Sandine Pelka having like the Latang Carlson player comparable is absolutely absurd and one that we'll run with all day long. Oh, yeah, 100%. We know what the odds are here, but the fact that the chances are non-zero... We'll take it. Is everything I need to take this thing down the track as fast as she'll go. 
Before all that, though, we are going to first mention that this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club, uh, so named by Steve Dangle all those years ago. You get benefits like access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus overtime episodes, as well as our Patreon-exclusive Discord, which is a fantastic community. You're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, and this season will be uh, just the same, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. An example of a giveaway uh, that we just did recently, actually, was uh, we gave away an Alex Debrinka jersey to celebrate him signing in Detroit. So patreon.com slash podcast. Also, the roast and toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Lidstrom presented by Trinity Health is on Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 p.m. at Motor City Casino in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets and find out more. There's two different levels of tickets. The champion ticket will get you cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, dinner at the auction. It's a fantastic event. Host Doc Emmerich, uh, roasters Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, Steve Ott, and Jim Ralph uh, are going to be there to lead the laughs and entertainment. You'll see us there. It's going to be a great time, so uh, we hope to catch you all there. Also, we still have some seats at the Winged Wheel podcast table, so if you haven't bought a ticket yet and you'd like to sit with us, shoot us a DM uh, at Winged Wheel Pod on Twitter, and uh, we may have uh, a spot for you. So if you haven't bought a ticket yet and you want to sit with us, uh, DM us. And if you don't want to sit with us, then don't DM us, and you'll probably have a better night that way. Okay, let's you know get out of the offseason talk. Let's shake off the rest. We had a, a week off, which we don't really do quite often. Let's jump into the Mo Sider conversation. And Lucas Raymond, but we'll start with Mo Sider because I think that's the one that we've had the most preemptive argument about. As of July 1st of this year, both Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond were uh, eligible for extensions with the Detroit Red Wings for their first contracts beyond their entry-level contracts. This was notable. Uh, obviously, they're going to come with massive increases. Mo Sider, very, very, very likely to be the significantly higher AAV there. But a topic of debate is how much are they going to get paid? In his first season, I think Lucas Raymond, the, the projections would have been a lot, a lot higher based on this past season. Maybe they're a little bit more tempered right now, but we'll get into that in a second. But Mo Sider has some interesting comparables. One that a lot of people will point to is Kale McCarr in his $9 million deal, which is an underpay by Colorado. They have a great deal in him. And then other folks will point to Seth Jones and they'll point to Darnell Nurse and you know Vince Dunn just got a big payday. And they're not all directly comparable, but it's a changing market for a defenseman, a, a you know number one defenseman on a team, and the cap is going up. So what do you think is going to happen? And what do you think the range is for Mo Sider? What do I think is going to happen? I'm not 100% sure on that because I'm not 1,000% sure if Mo Sider will want max term or a bridge because, you know, next summer is the first increase in the salary cap. And if you're a star player, do you bet that's your best summer to pay out or do you let it rise for a couple more years before you try to get paid? If I'm Steve Iserman... In no way am I entertaining a bridge. It's it's eight years, and you just you just figure out the AAV from there. I'd rather overpay, like on an eight year deal, than give him any dollar amount on a bridge, just because for the long term contending window of the Red Wings, that would be way more beneficial. Yeah, and that's that's again from the Steve Eiserman perspective. Most Sider, I do not know what he is going to want. The AAV is going to be real interesting because obviously we had. Uh, all those top end defensemen that Ryan just listed out, but they were all older 
and not coming out of their ELC when those contracts were signed. But Cider is going to be coming into the quote unquote summer of the rising cap. So how much do those things affect each other? Because the fact he's coming out of his ELC, he won't have the long track record that some of those guys did when they signed those contracts is going to put him at a lower AAV than those guys. But, and well, and also we can plainly say he's better than some of those guys. So that's going to bring him closer to those guys. And then the cap going up by four, five, six million, whatever it is, he's probably going to want a good chunk of that pie. So does that bring it up to about what those guys are making? I think what they ultimately settle on is somewhere around nine, give or take, I'll say half a mil. Mm-hmm. So that eight and a half to nine and a half range. Again, if I'm Steve Eisman, I am doing everything in my power to make that eight years. And if it has to be nine and a half for eight years to get eight years, I would do that rather than doing like a two by seven. Just because again, I, the Red Wings should be looking at the long-term picture here, not the short. I think the fact that they're buying RFA years is going to go further in getting that AAV down than maybe some would think. And that's why I come in lower in this argument than you, Brad. I don't disagree. Like Sider's point in a negotiation is going to be that he is a number one defenseman for the Red Wings. It's undeniable. He has had a 50-point season already. He had a 42-point season in what was, you know, a quote-unquote down year where for the first third or so he was kind of off his game and that Ben Sherratt pairing wasn't going well for him. But this is a guy who could put up consistently 50 points. That's not nothing. It's not a ton of goals from the back end, so it might not be as flashy as, you know, McCarr's production or something like that. But number one defenseman, right shot, premier position, any team would kill and commit an insane amount of crime to have that on on their team. He's going to be able to command a big dollar for that. But for the most part, though, this contract will be restricted free agent years, RFA years, where Insider has less leverage and his agent will be able to kind of exude less control over the, the contract negotiation. So that's that's going to bring it in cheaper. So I know we've seen the trend of, of premier RFA players commanding absolute top dollar with you know threats of holdout or whatever it is, but that doesn't strike me as what's going to be the case here. I think Sider's a star, absolutely, and, and the Red Wings' most important player right now, probably into the future. But I don't know that he has the amount of leverage that it would take where he'd be able to command absolute top dollar. Where your argument really comes into play is, yeah, the cap is going up. And not just going up once. It's going to go up multiple times over the next three seasons. And then who knows what more beyond that. This like kind of bounce back after COVID where the revenues finally catch up and the players finally pay off their escrow debt to the owners. That could move what I consider as reasonable or, or a low pay now, like call it 775 to 8.5 to be something much higher because it's all a, a really a function of what percentage of the cap is it. So I agree in terms of uh, Eisenman's going to be looking for eight years here. That is absolutely what you do. We've seen time and time again that that is worth the risk. And if you're not certain about Mo Sider after these first two seasons, you'll never be certain about an RFA ever. Like this is as sure as you're ever going to be that a player is good and going to get better at a star level. Bet on it. Buy for as long as possible. Yeah, I don't think there's any debate on the length of contract that the team would want. Defensemen are so hard. Like, this one's... All these defensive contracts have made it so confusing, and then you pile on top, you know, the cap going up. Like, what you're, what a real defenseman should be getting paid because, you know, teams always look at, oh, yeah, the Seth Jones contract, that is very not good. 
I look at guys maybe like Charlie McAvoy, for example, on Boston, who might be a, a more decent comparable, but he's getting paid a lot of money. I think it's like nine and a half. So, you know, for the team, that's not ideal. <laughs> no. But I think if you get Mo Sider eight years and the contract starts with an eight, I think that's pretty good given what we've seen already uh, out of him in his first two seasons. Yeah, getting him in at eight point whatever in my mind would be a win for Detroit with the the context of long term. Now, here's the thing. This is all what's ideal for Detroit. We're, we're talking number. That's going to be an argument for a long time. What if the players aren't interested in signing soon? Like if you look at Mo Sider and the argument holds the same, if not even stronger for Lucas Raymond, they're going to want another year. Another season to build their case, to to get better, to perform better. Sider's output, his point total went down in his sophomore season. He looked all the same as Mo Sider did by the end of the year. Like He was playing great with Wallman and, and the production started to really come. But he's going to want to see if he can increase on that 50 point total from his first year. And his number is going to go up. And the closer you get to the increased salary number or the increased salary cap, that number becomes more real in contract negotiations as well. It's not a future projection. You can say, no, it is going to be this number. And the year after, we are already projecting this number. So you can't pay me less now because it's it's less vague. There's no mystery there. So yeah, they might want a bridge or they might want to wait until their entry-level contract lapses at the end of the year and they become a restricted free agent. They're fully within their rights to do that. Eisman can't force them to the negotiating table. It'll only be at the end of next season where they would have to you know, renegotiate their next contract. I could see that being a possibility here. Possibility? I would call that almost a certainty. Yeah. What, what reason could they possibly have to sign that contract now? It'd be team friendliness to sign now. Both it, of them. Exactly. Which they're not going to do, nor should they. You know, this is going to be possibly the biggest contract of their lives if they go eight years. You're not taking the team-friendly discount right out of your ELC. The only reason they would sign now is if Eiserman is very willing to give them a player-friendly, generous deal, which why would Eiserman do that now? Lucas Raymond, just coming off a down year, and Mo Sider had a down year versus his rookie year, even though it was still really good. I think both of them can sit back and pretty confident, confidently say, we're going to have better years. We're going to have a bigger sample size for negotiations. And we're going to be dealing in the real new world of a higher salary cap. Like, and a better team and teammates around them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. If either of them sign before, I'll say, New Year's, they're crazy. They are out of their minds. Now, if, if they start off the season on a heater, like let's say Lucas Raymond you know, puts up 35 points in his first 40 games, something like that. Oh, yeah, by all means, get you know pen to paper as quickly as possible before that number trails off a little bit, potentially. But... Otherwise, yeah, they have no good reason to even start negotiating now unless Claude Lemieux, Mo Sider's agent, sitting quiet in a room and Eisenman says negotiations start now. My associate will be in to talk and Darren McCarty walks through the room. (laughs) And I know we do this a lot and it might be annoying to some people who know, but for those who don't, yes, Claude Lemieux, that Claude Lemieux is indeed Mo Sider's agent. So... That's why I said send Darren McCarty to yeah. the negotiating table. Yeah, it's not just a coincidence in names there. Lucas Raymond is the more interesting case here. You know, there's not been a lot of noise to suggest either of the Red Wings' premier star young players is um, at 
the negotiating table now or or those contracts are going to come soon. But with Lucas Raymond's especially, you don't even need to hear that to, to know that it's more likely that his is going to be tougher to predict. When's that contract going to come through? For how many years? If there's a player who's going to want to bridge, let's say he comes out this season and does a little better than last year. Well, what's a little better than last year in terms of contract worth for Lucas Raymond? Because last year was not terrible, but it was a sophomore slump-ish year, especially at points he looked cold. That's not going to earn him a a contract that he's going to love for the next eight years if he thinks his ceiling is way above him, which I think it is. So if he doesn't come out and perform incredibly well this year, this is a guy who's probably not going to want to sign for seven or eight years with the Red Wings. He's probably going to want something shorter or middling term and grow into it. And then down the road when he's putting up, in his mind, 80 points plus, 70, 80 points plus, then yeah, that's when you cash out. If he doesn't replicate or better his rookie year, I think player and team will want to bridge because I don't think anybody would truly know what he is as a player to that point then. If he does come out and have, you know, another season better or at least similar to that, you you got a pretty good idea what he is. These are the type of situations that are tricky for teams but have a huge competitive advantage. It's not always a bad thing to sign a player like this to a long-term deal before they truly break out because if they do break out, you get them on a bargain. That's why Pasternak costs nothing forever in Boston. That's why Marshan costs nothing in Boston forever. That's why McKinnon costs nothing in Colorado forever. They put long-term deals in place for those guys before they went supernova. Now, I'm not saying Lucas Raymond's ever going to get to that level, but I could see a reality Lucas Raymond's a year-in, year-out, 70, 80-point player. And if he has a 50, 55-point season this year and you sign him long-term as a 50, 55-point player, that could be a hell of an asset for a team. You look at every team that wins the Stanley Cup, they have a contract like that. Almost everyone across the board, they're like, how is that guy only making that? Lucas Raymond could be Detroit's that guy, but that also comes with the inherent risk of well, that might just be his ceiling. And then you're paying him adequately, but it's not a bargain. It's not going to be a contract or a player that gets you over the hump at that point. But I, I don't know. I have faith in, Luke in Lucas Raymond to really progress from where he was this season, but no guarantee. Yeah, I wonder what it would take really, like without knowing exactly what Lucas Raymond wants at this moment in time, I wonder what it would take in terms of AAV to convince him to sign longer term because I'm fully on board with what you said, Brad. You bet on Lucas Raymond now. We've seen what Lucas Raymond can do. We know what his potential is. It's not like he's some surprise from the fifth round where you're like, oh, was his first season just a flash in the pan? No. This is who he was drafted to be. You saw it demonstrated right away. And even in a down year, 45 points in a down year for him, uh, great. If that's a down year, you're doing well in your second season of, uh, of NHL play. So yeah, you bet eight years on Lucas Raymond. That's how you get the the kind of cap structure that's going to allow you to get him in at a bargain and make moves for other big name players, which if you've listened to the show before, we've said time and time again, you know, we love Lucas Raymond. We love Mo Sider. Alex DeBrinkett, phenomenal addition to this team. Dylan Larkin is the number one center for the Red Wings right now. And between their prospects, they have a lot of options in their top six or top four. They still need to add major players, at least one or two probably two plus 
you're going to need to pay those guys real money and real dollars and real cap space to do that. So the way you do that is by doing what you can to be efficient in your cap space. Yeah, guys like Nate Danielson down the line, Axel Sandin Pelica, Marco Casper, depending on how soon the Red Wings are competitive, having them on their ELCs or lower AAV deals is going to help you. But you still need to be efficient wherever you can. And signing these guys long term when it's a little bit risky to do so, that's the kind of bet that you have to make. It doesn't always work out. Like there will be examples across the league of players or teams who believe in a guy and he just never turns out to be the player they, th- they thought he was. And then they have him long term at a dollar value that's higher than what he should be making. But how many times have we seen teams bet on guys that it, and it just works out and they're signed at like three, two and a half, five million. Well, not five million is maybe dramatic, but way under value. Well, especially when they have a high pedigree, top 10 picks, that level of player. Because the two recently that come to mind and the reason they come to mind is because they were damn near universally panned when they were signed. And now they are viewed as two of the better contracts in the league with Jack Hughes and Clayton Keller. They, Jack Hughes just had a damn near heart level season at 8 million a year. You know, Clayton Keller was, I think, what, 80, 90 points on that Arizona team for sub 8 million. And both those contracts, when they were signed, everybody's like, I don't know about that. Phenomenal value now that this team, these teams can build around. So, you know, obviously Lucas Ram is not getting paid $8 million, at least not unless he goes completely off this season but yeah it's it's always you know i'm not gonna say always but it's usually worth the gamble on the high bet pedigree players if you look at matt boldy in minnesota is that a comparable for lucas raymond if he has a better season uh boldy caulfield are going to be two negotiating points from raymond's side i think but those will be higher like i, I think those are above what lucas raymond could command right now if you were a GM. I think caulfield's point. is high i think raymond will probably really push the boldy comparison seven million dollars seven by seven yeah i i don't know i i like i would be happy to bet on lucas raymond for eight years and i'd be happy to overpay a little bit to get eight years I don't know about seven by seven right now. Am I being hypocritical to my own point from a couple minutes ago? Yeah, maybe. But I don't even think that that's bad. I, I'd line I ten out of ten times. I don't think twice. I signed Lucas to that tomorrow. If tomorrow, if it's on the table, okay. I it wouldn't take a lot to talk me into that because I do believe he's that player. I don't think there's any way Steve Eisman is signing that tomorrow. Knowing what Steve Eisman is when he signs his important deals, he grinds his oh, yeah. guys to the bone. Oh, a hundred percent. But I'm not Steve Eisenman. I'm nicer. I, 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 <laughs> Which is why you're not a GM in the NHL. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. If if Lucas Raymond could get that deal tomorrow, I also think he'd jump at that opportunity. Good chance, yeah. Which is, you know, all of that is indication to well, say. Well, if the player really likes it, then it must be bad. Yeah, it's it, all of that's an indication to say if it hasn't happened yet, then that's likely not where we're at. I could see Lucas Raymond very easily having a season or even a portion of a season that brings it to the point where that conversation about the contract is in around that range on long term. But yeah, the bridge option is also what in what's sticking out in my mind as maybe one of the more likely eventualities here. All right, way too early projections because I know Brad doesn't want to do it. I will make you guess the AAV, but what's the term you think the next their next contracts come in at respectively? I feel like, for me, Siders got. If the terms are not the same, Siders has to be longer. So I'll say eight years for Cider. Knowing what we know right now, not based on what they're going to potentially do this season, it's 
at this moment, given the knowledge and information we have, I'll say eight for cider, and I'll say the Raymond one's hard. I'll say seven because seven by seven sticking out to me. I'm gonna think Eisman gets both done at eight years. It might be tougher, but he's willing to do. There might be some weird, like date re- reason why you would want to do seven with one, eight with another. Oh, it's like oh, by the time Danielson or something their ELC starts to come up or lining another, up with other players. Yeah, lining up with other players. There might be some deeper reason in, than that, but that's what I'm going with. Um, it's also probably worth mentioning Satter's a year older than Raymond, so that could factor in, and that does factor into my answer. I'm going to go eight for Cider, and I'm going to go two for Raymond. You think two? Yeah, so he'll come out, I think he'll want to bridge and string together a couple more big years, ideally, to really get paid. Because even if he pops off for 65 points this year, I don't think he's getting crazy money. But if he has, you know, if he goes 65, 70, 75 over the next three years, he, that's a going to be a very sizable contract with three years in a row of that track record. And I think that's what he would likely want to bet on. Okay. That is the beginning of the conversations of Cider and Raymond's extension eligibilities. As we know more about potentially how conversations are going or not going and how they're performing over the course of a season, then we'll, uh, we'll expand the conversation. But for now, that's a good kickoff point. Let's jump over into some Red Wings prospect news. I don't think this will be a surprise. Uh, credit to Hockey News Hub on Twitter, but they posted a translated article wherein Dmitry Bachelnikov uh, said to a publication or told a publication why he didn't come to the draft when the Red Wings took him. And it's all just visa stuff. Didn't have a Canadian visa. Uh, didn't think about really going. Didn't know he was going to get taken that high. as a nice surprise. In touch with the Red, Red Wings scouting staff before and since. So... Nothing really surprising, but some folks have been asking a lot about Pachelnikov. There's a lot of concern. Obviously, he's tied up in Russia on contract, and that whole geopolitical situation does make people a bit nervous about players coming over, but this doesn't seem to be a, a case where you know, the Red Wings pick the guy and he's sequestered over there and, and there's some kind of wall preventing him from coming right now. So the, just in case you were concerned about that, it's nice to hear that from him, and it looks like he's taking the fact that he was taking it in the second round. As a, uh, as a as a success and a win in his career. So, Bichelnikov still very much an active Red Wings prospect and often under overlooked, but one of their more important ones. You spend a second round pick on a guy, he's going to be one of your more important prospects. Brad, don't make any faces. Some other news. Noah Dover-Nielsen, uh, it was announced that he is going to have uh, shoulder surgery and will be out for a couple of months as he recovers from that. He has a big season ahead of him hopefully in the SHL for his sake. So offseason's the time to do it. But the recent Red Wings draft pick, brother of Liam, and one of the more offensively kind of attuned picks that the Red Wings made in his previous draft is uh, is going to have to deal with shoulder surgery in the offseason. So another Red Wings prospect who is going to have shoulder surgery this offseason or has had it. So just some updates on Red Wings prospects. Some league news, and really maybe this should have happened as we were talking about Mo Sider, but did uh, some contracts have been coming through, and one that caught my eye was Vince Dunn's. Seattle signed him to an interesting contract, four years at $7.35 million per year for Vince Dunn. 26 years old, will turn 27 closer to the start of next season. Great, Obviously great player, 
bet on himself and now is cashing out. It's a big deal for him. I don't love this deal for Seattle. I feel like they should have went longer term. Like he's good. He's really good. He's a cornerstone of your franchise. He's not so young to the point that you think this was a flash in the pan. At least I would hope not. You know, at least I would hope the organization doesn't view him that way, but it's the Debrinke contract. He's be like, all right, this is what I'm going to take now, but you guys are going to have to pay me at the end of this again. So I I understand it, but um, especially with the defensive market the way it is, because Dunn's a defenseman, Debrinkit's a winger. If things go sideways between Detroit and Debrinkit, you can find wingers. Not easily, as we've learned, but you can. Defensemen like Vince Dunn, good luck. You are not finding them. So I, if I was Seattle, I would have went eight years on that. But for all we know, he wasn't putting that on the table. I think he was second in points on that team last year, too. Seattle's an interesting team with how their their output was laid out. They didn't have like high power Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan. They're McKinnon literally guys. what the Red Wings should be. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we really need to root for Seattle this year. We need we need to know that that model of building a hockey team can work. Yeah. The hey, maybe that's why we took one of their players. That's right. Step one. Yeah, Daniel Sprung, highly efficient player. We'll find out fast whether that was a a product to the Kraken or Daniel Sprung. He's always produced, though, in his NHL career, but he's never played more than, like, four minutes a game. Yeah. I saw that 7.35 come through, and I thought, hmm, those are some of his, again, akin to Debrinket, where they're buying his best years. They're playing, they're paying a pretty penny for it. Like I'd if, say for his output, they got a bargain on the AAV, but they're going to have to pay him again. I agree that he's worth the money, but... It's the fact that he like doubled his point output. Like like Evan said, he was the second leading scorer on the Kraken, but also that's brand new. So I agree. He's a great player and they're buying his best years. And if you look at it that way, they got a good price. And yeah, you you extend the guy for longer than that if you can. But I, I don't know. I saw that that number come up and I went, Oh, wow. They uh I mean, good on Dunn. If he he didn't want to go further than that, and he's just betting on himself to get another big contract, he'll be worth probably less because, you know relatively speaking, doesn't have his best athletic years ahead of him at that point, but the cap will be higher in four years, so he might be able to to get one more big contract. If he signs another four-year deal uh, after this one for half a million dollars per year more than this one, it was a good call. Yeah. He, can't, he would come out ahead. Yeah. And I don't think many teams have any problem giving a 29-year-old or whatever he'll be at that point a four-year deal. That's just one of the recent uh, contracts to come through via arbitration. Philip Kirishev uh, with Chicago got a two-year, $2.25 million contract. And Ilya Samsonov in Toronto came to, through arbitration, a one-year, $3.55 million deal. <laughs> I, 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 am, I apologize if there's any, uh, is it arbiter or arbitrator? Arbitrator. Arbitrator uh, listening right now. That has got to be the easiest job in the world if you were an arbitrator for the NHL. Has there ever been one that hasn't almost been split right down the middle? <laughs> they own, Their job is they own a calculator. 4.5 plus $2 million divided by 2. That's what you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I've seen some that go off center a little bit. Like by like a couple hundred thousand at most. Yeah. Uh, this is what happens when you do it in the summer. Nobody wants to do it. If I'm a player, I'm going in. Uh, what did what did Toronto offer me too? Yeah, uh, throw in our offer at eight million. I just want to try something here. <laughs> There's one other signing. It's very minor. 
It's a three-year, two-way deal with St. Louis. Why would we care about a St. Louis two-way contract? Jeremy Biakapatuka, Red Wings camp standout, uh, previous camp standout, obviously has his ties to Detroit, uh, got himself a three-year uh, ELC with St. Louis. So good for him. This is literally the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah. That's how small the news is and that's how off-season we are. But he was a guy that was very easy to root for in terms of like, you know, if this was the Red Wings of five years ago, he probably would have landed himself a roster spot at a, at a camp. But as a Well, Red at least um, getting to reference the name Biaka Batuka for years instead of Marchenko would have been more fun. It would have been more fun and more impactful for, for the, the Detroit sports community. But good on Jeremy. Okay. Other... NHL defenseman news. The saga of Eric Carlson has been quietly dragging on in the background. It's been it was kind of drowned out by the draft and it was kind of drowned out by the Debrinka trade, but Eric Carlson's been on the trade block and it's been looking at least somewhat likely for a long time now. He recently uh, evidently con- uh, confirmed that he has spoken to Pittsburgh, Carolina, Toronto, and Seattle about if they all combine their cap space and San Jose retains 50% and might get done. <laughs> it's such an unbelievable situation, but with Eric Carlson's mega contract being moved by San Jose, in my mind, San Jose has to do this now. Norris Trophy, 100-point season. You're never going to get a better version of Eric Carlson than if you got last season. If you're trading Eric Carlson, you have to do it right now. Because previous to this season, you were talking about having to give up assets for people to take him. You might be able to yes. get something back now retaining a certain little bit to make it work, but he's never going to be more valuable and San Jose has no use for Eric Carlson for the next four years. And why would Eric, I mean, yeah, living in San Jose is great, but why would you even want to be there? Like That team isn't going to win anytime soon. He wants a cup. They're not going to get it for him. Yeah. So I heard a trade proposal. I think it was Down Goes Brown who brought this one up that started to make a lot of sense to me. Because from San Jose's perspective, it's really tough to move an $11.5 million contract. And from the acquiring team, they don't want to pay for massive salary retention because that just drives the acquiring cost way up. But there was a starting point for a trade with Pittsburgh that made a lot of sense. So obviously you have to work around it and there'd be a million moving parts, you know, picks, prospects, whatever the trade ends up being. But the the foundation of the trade is Eric Carlson going to Pittsburgh, Jeff Petrie and Mikhail Granlund going to San Jose because those are two bad contracts that Pittsburgh probably desperately wants to unload. They are not good players. But when you combine Mikhail Granlund and Jeff Petrie's cap hits, what does it come out to? million, but only for two years on each of them instead of four. So San Jose gets out of their cap hell two years earlier by acquiring those contracts. Pittsburgh then can take on Eric Carlson with minimal salary retention, if any at all. Oh. And that, because they're already, they're just swapping out cap hits, but they're taking the pain on for two years longer to upgrade the quality of player. It's like alternate version, 50% retention. Exactly. Instead of retaining, you're going to take our bad contracts, but we're, instead of you retaining for eight years, you're going to eat these two bad contracts for two years. And then here is the trade assets we will give you for Eric Carlson. And then that's just the, you're just trading for Eric Carlson because you don't have to do a million cap gymnastics to make it work. Right. So 
whether or not that happens, that seems way too common sense for NHL GMs, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at the situations of all the teams involved, that one makes a lot of sense for both teams. Because Pittsburgh, they want to take another run at it in the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era. And Eric Carlson would sure as hell go a long way to helping that. And San Jose, they want to rebuild. And Eric Carlson, even at four years, is not going to come out the other side of this rebuild with the Sharks. So them getting all that cap space two years earlier is huge for a rebuilding team. So it is at least a a good foundation to a deal. Now, I'm sure Pittsburgh would have to throw, you know, first-round pick prospects, whatever. But yeah, to me, it makes sense. You know, I heard, all, I heard all the teams that were rumored, and Toronto made me laugh especially because, one, they, like, have to get rid of Matt Murray before the start of the season, essentially. Barring something different happening with their cap, you never know how it's going to shake out, but they have... Like, I think $14. Like, I don't think they could afford to buy the master's tickets that Evan's going to have to pay for. Nope. And you're talking about bringing in Eric Carlson with any amount retained. I'm like, how? And it's also, imagine a Morgan Riley, Eric Carlson, John Klingberg defensive core, or like half of your defensive core. They literally already acquired Wish.com Eric Carlson. There, No one is playing defense. No. <laughs> Especially Those guys not. can't defend. No. Like absolutely. Riley would be the best defender of the three by a country mile. And okay, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of discrediting Morgan Riley's uh, defensive aptitude here, but holy shit, that is a bad situation if you need your defenseman to play defense. Now, I am never a proponent of the Leafs winning a Stanley Cup, but if they do, and they do it by winning every game seven to six. That's a hilarious way for it to happen. Absolutely it is. Carolina is, Carolina's, they kind of have like Vegas syndrome where they're just in on every single big trade conversation. Hey, remember the last time a team tried having Brent Burns and Eric Carlson? That's exactly why I don't think Carlson would do it, right? No, it, no chance. He became so, once they moved Brent Burns and they stopped having two of the same player on the right side there, like it just was so much better for Carlson. Seattle intrigues me for Eric Carlson though. Seattle would be very fun. That would be very, very fun. And with their, you know, team style approach to everything there's a reality where you can do an adequate job covering up his defensive shortcomings that's right and you know this is someone i'm a big if you guys haven't noticed i'm a big proponent of defenseman playing actually playing defense but nah seven six there is an un like you cannot deny that in the modern nhl if you're scoring goals and you're producing offensively that is i don't want to say more important but it does not become discredited just because a player can't play defense like I'm sitting here saying bringing in Alex DeBrinkett was the right thing and the Red Wings need to somehow do it again at some point over the next couple of years. And Alex DeBrinkett's not a defensive stalwart. So the thing that I think every hockey fan should have learned over the last 15 years with no arguments whatsoever is we have learned you can manufacture team defense even without having a group of defensive stalwarts. You cannot manufacture team offense without having a few legitimately gifted offensive players. Yeah. So a team like Seattle could easily still be a very good defensive team with Eric Carlson on the ice, but they do not have a anybody like Eric Carlson on their roster, and you cannot get anybody like Eric Carlson in the league except for Eric Carlson, because guess what? The Rangers and uh, the Avs aren't letting go of their defensive superstars, so... You got to play the hand you're dealt. And if that's Eric Carlson, you're doing all right for yourself. Positional scarcity really is the name of the game in modern pro sports as uh, the cap eras 
become more and more prevalent in the topic of conversation. More on the NHL to come. Uh, let's talk. Hold on. I got to I got to make the joke before we move on. But why trade for Eric Carlson when you can simply draft one at 17th overall as you were? Thank you, Brad. That was my fault for skipping that. Yeah, I, I almost forgot it, too. I was equally guilty. Some ancillary news to the NHL and folks won't be strangers to this if you've been listening to the Winged Wheel podcast and how we feel about this. But the Olympics are back on the conversation block for NHL players. Uh, NHLPA Executive Director Marty Walsh has said multiple times, but again recently, that making a return for NHL players to the Olympics is a priority for him in the NHLPA. 2026 Winter Games are going to be the next kind of big focusing points, and that's not far away. It's three years, under three years from now, so... It's been a long time since we've seen NHL players at the Olympics. This is very obviously a, a priority for the PA. Here's how it's going to go. This is a negotiating point, whether it's fair or not. We've said it on previous episodes. We'll repeat it now. The NHL does not matter if it's actually beneficial to them. It's, it does not matter if it's better for the sport in the league and its awareness and its growth and its million other things for the players to go. They are going to negotiate against this as much as they can to increase the value of the eventual chip that they'll hand over to the Players Association. And in return, they're going to get what they want on escrow, on you know, hockey-related revenue split, on whatever it might be. It is in the NHL's best interest to negotiate against this for as hard as possible for as long as possible. And that's what Marty Walsh, as NHLPA Executive Director, is there to do, which is to break through that wall and find an equitable solution where the players are guaranteed to go because they want to play an international best-on-best hockey. I find it, the more and more I think about it as time passes, the more and more I find it so weird this is the hill the NHLPA wants to die on. They don't financially benefit from this outside of the top handful of superstars who will get a little more name recognition, a little more sponsorship out of being on a stage that big. But for 90% of the players going, they're not going to financially benefit from this. You know, if I was the NHLPA, the hill I'm willing to die on is, you know, salary cap, escrow, you know, how do I make my living? But I understand the appeal of the Olympics and where I have arrived at as a fan is I don't care anymore. No, 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 no. I don't let me Even finish. I'm not there. Yeah. No, no, geez. let me finish. I don't care about the Olympics. I don't care about the World Cup. Look into the camera. I care. Stop looking at us. <laughs> I just want... One of them to happen. Oh, oh you want I, any. I, I need a best on best tournament done properly. I don't care who facilitates it. If it's a World Cup of Hockey run by the NHL and we still get Canada versus Sweden versus Finland versus the US, I'm happy. If they bungle that, but we get the Olympics, I'm happy. This isn't complicated. It's best on best hockey. Just make it happen. That's all I care about at this point. I don't care where it happens. If the NBA can make it work and send their players to the Olympics where their players make exponentially more and they play, their stars play exponentially more of the game, there's absolutely no reason why the NHL and the NHLPA cannot figure out how to do that. Well, here's the thing that kills me is we have two glowing examples from other sports on either side of this. The NBA uses the Olympics masterfully because it's the world's biggest sporting stage. Like Evan said, their superstars are on the floor for 90% of the game. 
it's an incredible marketing revenue avenue, which doesn't quite equate to what the NHL can do. Cause again, even Connor McDavid is only going to play a third to half the game at most, but it's still a huge stage. But then you look at soccer where the Olympics is just some not throwaway, but essentially a throwaway U23 tournament. And the world cup is one of the biggest events in the world period, full stop. Yeah. And so they do their own thing. Basketball uses the Olympics and they both work incredibly well. So now we, what we, if you're the NHL and you say, let's do neither. <laughs> that is what they have been doing for what? Uh, we're out of ideas. Nine years We've now? tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Nine years of nothing. It's, it's funny because, you know, the NBA has, they do the Olympics and they do it well, especially once, you know, I think, and this is a little bit Western uh, world centric, but when the team USA went back and they're like, they're like, we're done being embarrassed and they went and just started demolishing teams and winning gold as they should. But they, the NBA finals is their world cup. The NBA finals justifiably gets a huge draw. Soccer has a world cup. Uh, the NFL has a Super Bowl. The uh, MLB has a World Series. Like they all and have MLS their thing. now has Messi. That's oh man. That's so you, a, if you think the NHL is can compete even with those leagues, I think the MLS is going to pass the NHL if they haven't already. Oh, and, they have. And if you're they a hockey and if you're a hockey fan, you know the NH, the Stanley Cup playoffs from start to end. I genuinely think is in terms of entertainment and in terms of like sporting value, the best spectacle in sports. But convincing other people of that is a harder sell for the NHL. They are behind. And the Olympics is something that they have to do. I'm going to get to your point later, uh, Brad, that you mentioned, why would the players want this? But something that's been a sticking point, and this is part of the reason why, it's not all like, you know, malicious guy with a monocle and an evil top hat NHL kind of thing where they... they I mean, we're not far off that. Where they don't want this for the players. But the uh, International Olympic Committee is also extraordinarily difficult to work with, read corrupt. The NHL has struggled with getting any kind of licensing rights to be able to use the image of their players that they're sending over to advertise, like legitimately in their advertisements, uh, covering insurance policies, covering travel and, and accommodations and all that stuff. That's stuff that the NHL and the International Olympic Committee have battled for years and years and years on. And so pretty much, you know, the NHLPA is looking at the NHL and saying, you're not giving at all on this. And this is really important to us fundamentally as your athletes. The IOC is worse even. They look at the NHL, they're like, give, 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 and we are not going to give you a single thing because we're the Olympics. And you know what? I, I, To that end, I don't blame the NHL for playing hardball and saying, well, we can do our own thing. Well, maybe but, the NHL needs new people in then. Because if you can't move the needle, and this is what the talent and the employees of your league want, maybe it's time for new people to, to go to the table. I agree. You do need to break through. As un- Maybe undesirable. Or you take a bad deal f- just to get the ball going again. Like, it can't always be a win or a lose. Sometimes you have to lose for long-term gain. You just have to close the deal. And that's where I ultimately land. I agree with you, Evan. And, Brad, you asked the question, why are the players choosing to, to die on this hill? Let's not forget, like, in the cap era, we talk a lot about contracts and money. And, yeah, you know, some players are more concerned about money than maybe winning a cup or whatever. But, by and large, you don't make the NHL unless you have the drive First of all, the, the the natural God-given talent and the athleticism, but the drive and the compete and the will to win and get better, that is, you know, the 0.1% of the population could even dream of having. These guys want best-on-best best competition. They grew up playing with each other. They grew up playing against each other. 
more than anything, they want this because it, it's a rare opportunity for them to represent their countries and satisfy the part inside of them that drives them to be professional athletes in the first place. There are very, very, very few NHL players that are in the NHL on talent alone. You need to have the drive. You need to have the the, the competitive edge, the competitive spirit, all of that. And that goes hand in hand with wanting the Olympics. So is it irrational in terms of a contract negotiation for the CBA? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right, Brad. But that's what makes these guys NHL athletes. And so I don't blame them for wanting it. And from, you know what? Screw them all. Screw the players. Screw the owners. Screw the IOC. Screw the NHL. All of them. The fans want this. Plain and yeah. simple. The fans want it. They're and, the people who buy the jerseys, who buy the the overpriced beers. They're the ones who buy the tickets that are also overpriced. At some point, you got to look at it as a business and not be so nickel and diming everyone and just say, if this is going to suck for five years, but we're going to explode on the international scene, then we do it. It, Every time we have this conversation, there's... We've only had this conversation once and it's today. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. If you're a new listener, just take Evan at his word. Yeah. Anytime uh, this topic arises, there's always one thing that jumps to my head and it's just Gary, this is the like perfect encapsulation of Gary Bettman's legacy because he was hired on as the commissioner of the NHL in 1993. And there's this very famous Sports Illustrated cover in the hockey world from the end of the 1994 se- 93-94 season. Still remember the image, Mike Richter and Pavel Bure on the cover title why the nhl is hot and the nba is not <laughs> well that has drastically changed that is that. gary bettman's legs not only has it is the nhl no longer ahead of the nba it's comically far behind and has been passed by another sport why because of dumb garbage like this where he tries to nickel he nickel and dimes his way out of promoting his own product to me uh, and this goes like for any senior leadership i feel that you know after a 10-year period you're probably out of ideas like how many new things and how many new perspectives are you bringing after that time of being in the business being in the the trenches like you just become sort of you know you you put the blinders on a little bit i i think they're I mean, the owners don't care because they're making money hand over. He's doing his job in their mind. Yeah. But no, they're not. They would, if this was not more money. Exactly. They have left so much money on the table because they want the money right now. They don't give a shit about long term investment. They want that money now. And I know it's a different topic, but we're going to probably see another approach to that, uh, how it gets flushed out now that there's one women's hockey league. Because this is a perfect opportunity for the NHL to partner up. Gary Bettman, in his own words, doesn't want to be involved unless there's one league. There's one league now. How it was done, there was a lot of problems with, but whatever. It's there now. You can grow the hockey from a grassroots level with girls now by partnering with this league. But because for the first few leagues, uh, years, let's call it Space Bay, that money's pro- that league's going to probably hemorrhage money, so the NHL's not going to want anything to do with it. Again, not willing to eat short-term losses for long-term gains. This is the same damn thing. Yeah, short-term losses at the Olympics. Gary, nobody's arguing with you that the IOC is impossible to deal with. Nobody's arguing that we understand why it's not, you know, the risks of sending players over and shutting down part of your season. In the short term, it sucks. Nobody's arguing that from the league standpoint. 
But the long term, yeah, putting it on the biggest sporting stage in the world is going to grow your product. The part that me that drives me especially up the wall is the NHL and their expansion of the sport domestically is focused justifiably on the United States. Putting a hockey team in Canada is, you know, drawing from the same well that you already have infinite water from. You print money in Canada when it comes to the NHL. It does not matter where you put the team. I promise you it doesn't matter. In the United States, you have major metropolitan markets with millions and millions and millions of people who have probably never seen a hockey game in their lives. And almost every time when you put it out there and you can get them to come to the arena, they're like, holy shit, this is the best game in the world. And we are now hockey fans. They focus a lot on the United States as they should to grow the game. The United States has... over the last, what, 15, however many years, for, what am I talking, decades, they've been a team that has been one of the most talented on paper, but has not had the Olympic output in the production. Don't they want an opportunity for Team USA to have redemption? Advertise the top American stars in the league and put them on, in a best-on-best tournament? What would a Team USA gold medal do for hockey in the United States? And the timing of it hilarious, too, is if you put every team on paper right now, USA might be the favorites. They could be the favorites. They are right there with Canada. Yeah. They, you know, they don't have the Connor McDavid factor, but their defense, better than Canada's. I agree. Their goaltending, better than Canada's. Yep. Depth at forward, at least on par with Canada. The only advantage I give Canada is... Game breakers. Is, not even game breakers. I'm just going to say McDavid. McCarr on the back end, I think, could also be problematic. Yeah, but Adam Fox a, for the Rangers. It's uh, a different, from the Rangers. different conversation. But yeah, they are. Yeah. They would be a gold medal favorite. You, Gary Bettman can't just call up Adam Silver and be like, hey, we've struggled with the IOC. Can you get send me some sort of takeaways on how to how to break through with these guys? Like, if, these guys talk all the time. Like, I, to, we're all talking uh, on in agreement with a best-on-best tournament, and we can just yell about this forever it just get it the done fact that we're, yeah get it done i'm tired of i'll look at the camera this time i'm tired of hearing about it just get tell me when it's done because this is a joke if marty walsh gets this done for the players and they don't have to you know hockey related revenue isn't all of a sudden like a 90 10 split that's a win for him and what if i told sports. you you do this and hockey related revenue goes up it, and it will the nhl will never admit that but it would like it does like, anyhow one quick reference just for kind of the point we're making on this. And back in my trading card days career from many, many moons ago, there was one thing that always fascinated me. Remember, folks, despite all three of us and what we try to convince you of, we are all nerds in our own way on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, exactly. But many, many moons ago when I had that business and, you know, we dealt with NBA trading cards as well. Not as much as hockey being Canada, but NBA as well. The NBA dollar for dollar market relative to hockey was comically higher. Like, you know, the best NBA players would outsell the best hockey players a hundred to one. But you know where one of the biggest markets where that money was coming from for all the NBA stuff? The Philippines. What? Exactly. There's no NBA team in the Philippines, but they're very, very invested in the NBA. And they're wi- and this is proof they're willing to throw their dollars at it. So yeah, they're not selling tickets to the Philippines, but they sure as hell are making money off the Philippines. Yeah. So the NHL could have pockets of the world that start doing that if they were ever properly marketed, but they don't. Well, 
I'm sure we'll never have this round table again. We only talk about things once on this podcast. Yeah, that's this, right. this was it. <laughs> Nailed so anyways, back to Alex to bring it. Oh, folks. Okay. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, it's the off season and things go a little off the rails in the off season. So forgive us as the uh, content becomes a little bit more unstructured and loose. Also, that week off was uh, that was strange to deal with. Yeah, Wednesday I was like, "What do I do? Where, where am I supposed to be right now?" It, it's one less episode. It's one fewer episode a week for the off season. We're down to just one a week, and we'll have uh, Patreon exclusive stuff coming midweek from uh, starting now. But yeah, I, there's going to be some growing pains when we go back to two. Already, I can sense it. I had, yeah, I had growing pains. I didn't know what to do with all my time. I kind of just sat there. I just, just <laughs> sat down on my chair in my underwear. We're describing, <laughs> we're describing relaxing. Oh, don't look at Brad. I forgot Brad has two kids. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, we're going to jump into overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. In addition to all the benefits like the discord, the giveaways and the bonus episodes, you also uh, help us run winged wheel podcast nights at the LCA uh, in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, partnered with the Detroit Red Wings. If you're wondering how those things happen, uh, we obviously cover the cost of that because it's all for a good cause and it's a great way to bring people together, but uh, our Patreon supporters are the way that that happens. Uh, the expanded Winged Wheel podcast kind of content universe, uh, listen to Expected by Whom, follow them on Twitter. It's a show hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro, an excellent, excellent show that uh, kicked off in our you know kind of expanded content world and, of course, our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. In overtime, we're going to take some questions and comments from our supporters on Patreon. This one from Luke DeWitt says, Longtime listener, first-time writer-inner, I have a wild rule idea that's been pretty polarizing, but no one that has answered no can give me an answer as to why they disagree. I turn it to you fellows to let me know how you feel, and if no, why. The rule is this. If a game is equal to a one-goal deficit with under two minutes and the team that is in the lead takes a penalty, the game should extend to live out that penalty. For example, if there's 120 left and the leading team gets a two-minute penalty, the game should extend 40 seconds to give the losing team a chance to tie it up. This could include five-minute penalties, but that would be a much more rare occurrence. I'm not totally against that. I don't hate it because it's a double-sided coin. I can see the argument against it, but I can see the argument for it. So the argument for it is obviously, yeah, equal grounds to get it. Like, why let a team just do whatever the hell they want for the last 20 seconds of the game because they know it doesn't matter? Right, like a five on four for fifteen seconds versus a five on five isn't a huge difference, and if it prevents a goal or saves a goal by taking a penalty in that time, sure. But the flip side of that coin, I could see is, well, if you only have thirty seconds of a power play, and you do tie it, actually, I know I'm contradicting my own point here. So yeah, no, I'd actually it makes sense to me. I like this. I do like this, and I would you know if you're in overtime and you have a power play. I would want to extend that overtime before going into the shootout. Absolutely. I I really like this. The argument against it will be players are like, well, well, you don't make games longer. You're already talking about going to an 84-game season over 82, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all fair. But there might have to be a statute of limitations on it because let's say there's 10 seconds left in a game. You know, Larkin's got a backdoor tap in. Someone chops his stick in half. Game extends two minutes. A minute 59 into that. You know, Lucas Raymond's got to tap in. Someone tomahawks him across the wrist. Like, how long does that game go? What about big scrums, things like that? How do you balance those? Out? Exactly. So there, there would have to be a limit, I would think. Not that that situation would arise a lot, 
But if you do extend a game, let's say six, seven, eight minutes because of multiple scrums, multiple penalties all of a sudden, and then that game does end up going to overtime and a shootout, you're running a half hour to 45 minutes past when the game was supposed to be over, you know, teams have to travel. That does create complications. I guarantee they Joe's beer league starting, so you got to get off the ice. That's right, yeah. yeah. Disney on ice is playing after them. Yeah. It's probably drawing a bigger crowd. I do like the idea, but yeah, there would have to be some sort of limitation on it. Yeah, that's a good, for all, like for the wild ideas that come in the off season, like that's a really good one. Like soccer with penalty time. Yeah. Yeah, we're extending the game because this guy laid on the ground for 10 minutes. Keep going. Yeah. Also, broken nail. (laughs) Our European contingent are going to have our heads for calling it soccer so many times in one episode. Oh, well, that's great that we don't live in Europe. (laughs) Coyote season tickets in anywhere but Tempe says, what do you guys think of the NHL allowing for teams to choose between having North American and international ice dimensions in their home buildings? So teams like kind of like how MLB parks get have different shapes. I love it. I, I, I love the unique factor of the MLB that way, like that some stadium, like Yankee stadiums, ridiculous. It's a joke, but I love it because of that. It makes it way more entertaining, and then it makes the discourse oh, hilarious. That's why we had. About. That's why the wings had the troughs at the at Joe Louis Arena. It was that's a competitive advantage. advantage. Yeah, <laughs> I I hate it. I actually I would be I know I would be drawn and quartered in MLB fandom for saying it, but I don't really love from like a stats point of view parks having different dimensions, but that's baked into the game, so it's not like I would. So what would the di- what's the difference in the NHL because it's basically a, a an oval shape. You like. could make it a little wider. Maybe you make the corners or, a little narrower. Like, you know, some uh, some arenas have too like crazy for me. at least at the junior level, the the neutral zone is tiny, but they make the the, yeah. the ends bigger. Yeah, to yeah. increase offense. I'm not for it. I think NHL standardized is the way to go. I think you the one thing that there would have to be is a rule on that. Like, if you do this, like, you have to keep it for X amount of time because you can't, like, extend or, like, widen the neutral zone based on the type of team you have. Like, Colorado, we drafted McKinnon. Oh, by the way, we're going to Olympic size now. Like, no, no. I, I that, And that's why I want the NHL size ice. And even, like, outside of the preference for, like, the ice dimensions— Playing first of all, playing on international ice. If you don't usually play on international ice, and then you go to a rink that has it, let me it tell sucks. you, it sucks for you having to do it because your cardiovascular gets destroyed. Smaller ice though forces decisions faster, which makes the game faster. Like, I, yeah, I feel like if they shrunk the neutral zone, people would get lit up a lot more 100%. because the gap is so much smaller. <laughs> but at the pro level, guys, guys are monsters. They yeah. would a smaller neutral zone. People would get destroyed if jacob truba got to play in a smaller neutral zone he's adding a zero to his contract (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay uh this one from jeremy Dahl says uh well i don't know about you guys but i'm pumped for the next season a lot of new faces and hopefully building on the last one with the good i'm really looking forward to seeing more of cider and wallman paired and you guys are just awesome such great content i'm glad i found you guys all those years ago you have an excellent chemistry my patreon dollars are well worth it we should never write any kind of promotions. We should just have Jeremy do it for us. Thank you, Jeremy. Agreed. Uh, as for my question. Ex- I thought you were Jeremy. I, I could not ever write so eloquently or say such positive things about any of the three of us at this table. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's true. As for a question, explain how our outlook is better than the Oilers. Like if McDavid ever leaves, they're in trouble. Uh, it's not. It's definitely not because the Oilers are very, as far as NHL teams can go in a 32-team league, they are very likely to win the Stanley Cup this year. They are one of the, what, at worst five favorites to win the cup? Yeah. As, <laughs> as long as you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on your team, no matter how tough things seem, 
you would give anything to have those guys on your team, even just for one year guaranteed. That like, I would love to say that the Red Wings have a better outlook. I think there's very few teams in the league who could claim that. Uh, this one, <laughs> this is a fun one to end it before we uh, wrap up and go to our Patreon exclusive overtime. Udalali says, what will happen first? The Wings win their next cup or Ryan gets an ace before Evan? Evan, this is for you to answer. I'm th- Yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. And I've used up all my luck today. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, you know, sample sizes are important. And judging by the one we just had, I'll say I'm going to get an ace before you. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, going to bank one in off a tree or something dumb like that. I had a beeline. It was a stupid, I did, didn't even get the ball really in the air. It was like three feet off the ground, slicing directly for a pond and hit a single small boulder at the edge and careened in two feet from the green. And I looked at Evan, I went, this sport is so stupid. Yeah, we were both in the same spot, for, <laughs> but for two wildly different reasons. <laughs> and for that, I say it'll be me getting an ace. Wow. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thanks for bearing with us as we uh, adjust. Oh, anyways, uh, I'm going to say the Stanley Cup because neither of these two are ever getting an ace. <laughs> Not at this rate. <laughs> no. No. Uh, thanks for bearing with us as we kind of, uh, adjust to off season content. Again, we're not going away. We're still here once a week and we'll have a midweek Patreon exclusive, uh, content for our patrons as well. So again, thank you all so very much. Thank you all for tuning in, uh, to all of our supporters. It means the world that, uh, that you hang out, listen, if you want to support in ways other than Patreon, subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast and leave a rating, whether that's Spotify, Apple podcasts, you know, Google podcasts, wherever it makes a big difference. And uh, to all of our patrons, again, you're what makes the show go round. And to all of our name level supporters on Patreon, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, uh, a broken man on a Halifax pier, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burger's Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Carl Brutan and Analuski, Carzone 13, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Don't Say This Is a Guy Challenge, Failed. Oh yeah, we say that a lot. Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow. I'm sure you got me to say something stupid there. Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Larkin the Cat, and Raymond Walk Into a Bar, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Mitch Collins, brand new name level supporter. Welcome, Mitch, to the Dub Dub Club. RA Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciate About You, Brian Vasha, The Mexinadian, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Kringleberg, brand new name level supporter, welcome Kringleberg, to the Dub Dub Club, Darren Fick, Elite Defenseman, Jonathan Erickson Fan Club, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Go Green, Go White, Thank you for making me say that. Ugh. Griffey boy, Henrik Robert Deeks. I'm from Waterloo where the vampires hang out. Instructions on clear, cheese bag, no longer fresh. James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, 
John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt K, Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Shahid Syed, Stephen, Tatarsas, The Hodag, The Hat123, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. I'm off to go uh, defeat the odds and get an ace. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.